understanding grace the way it's supposed to be understood. That's what we'll focus on here today on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. Welcome to our program. We'll spend our time in Romans chapter 6. Grab your Bible. Join us for today's edition of Graceful Truth coming up next. There has always been a misunderstanding of what real grace is all about. We always want to insert our uh, yeah buts and our legalism and our qualifications for grace, something God never does. Hi there. Welcome to Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. We're in Romans chapter 6. The Apostle Paul dials in for us what true grace is all about. Please join us. Here he is now with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. Once again, Pastor Steve. Now, last week I asked a simple question, where do you go from here? What happens at this point? Do we continue to live in a life of sin so that grace may abound? That's what Paul asks. Or do we choose the other path, the path of God-like conduct? And that's what you need to really ask your own self. By now, hopefully you can see that there's no possible alternative for those who are truly saved but to go down God's path. The life of sin in what we have died to is gone. There's no going back for us any more than there could be going back to suffer and die for sin again by our Lord. Jesus would never do that. He said, I died once for all. And if there's no going back, if that possibility has been eliminated... There is no direction for us but to where? Go forward. To be sanctified, to be made more holy each and every day. That's why a proper understanding of Romans chapter 6 verse 2 is really the key to your sanctification, to your holiness, to your Christian living. See, rather than stress the fact of what God is telling us, some people try to find some intense emotional experience here thinking if only they can make themselves feel closer to God, somehow they'll become holy. Others try to find their holiness or their sanctification through a special methodology. They think if they do certain things, or they follow a certain way, or a prescribed ritual, or whatever it might be, somehow that will make them holy. Beloved, godliness does not come from those things. It just doesn't. In fact, if you're trying to get godly, if you're trying to become more Christ-like by following those things, it's rather deceptive. Because a holy life comes from what? A holy life comes from knowing. Knowing that you can't go back. There's no return. That you have died to sin. That you've been made alive to God. Stott says this a little further on in his commentary. He says, A born-again Christian should no more think of going back to an old life than an adult to his childhood, a married man to his bachelorhood, or a discharged prisoner to his prison cell. You ask the question, can an adult still want to be a child or an infant? Yeah, we have childish people all around us. Can a happily married man want to go back and be a bachelor? Sure. Can a freed man want to become a prisoner again? I guess so. 
But I don't think any right-minded man or woman would want to do those things. That doesn't make sense. You'd have to be mad. And there needs to be an understanding here of what Paul is saying here in verse 3 when he says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Like I said, this is speaking of spiritual baptism. It's not talking about water baptism. And you have to understand that when you read the word baptism in the Bible, it means to immerse. It means to be, you know, immersed in in water in some cases. But there's other places where it means other things. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Let me just read this for you, and you'll see it's not talking about water baptism. It says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Clearly, he's not referring to water baptism here, because the only people who were baptized in water were the Egyptians who were chasing them, right? So, I mean, they were not, they were drowned by it, all right? These Israelites didn't even get their feet wet, the Bible says. Well, what does that verse mean? What does Paul mean when he says that? Obviously, he's referring to a permanent identification of the people with Moses as a result of their crossing the Red Sea. Before this, they were still in Egypt. They could have renounced Moses' leadership, And they could have retained their allegiance to Pharaoh and just went on as business as usual. But once they crossed that Red Sea and once everything crashed in on the Egyptians, there was no going back. They were joined to Moses for the duration of their desert wandering. They were not able to go back. That's why Paul uses this word baptism here. He uses the word baptized and baptism in verses 3 and 4. A couple other places in the Bible where it doesn't refer to water baptism is Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. Paul writes, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. That's not talking about water baptism. It's talking about being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Well, when does that happen? It happens at salvation. You're baptized. You're brought into Christ. In Mark chapter 16, verse 16 People use this all the time to say, well, this proves that you have to be baptized in order to be saved. Whoever believes, Jesus said, and is baptized will be saved. That's what, that's what Mark says. And a lot of people have wrongly concluded, beloved, that unless somebody is first baptized into water, they're not saved. That's not what Jesus is teaching. First of all, that would negate the idea that you're saved by grace <clears throat> and grace alone. Secondly, we'd have a real problem with the thief on the cross, right? Who repented, apparently, and Christ said, Oh, today you'll be with me in paradise. Well, he was never baptized by water, but he was baptized into Christ spiritually. And so it's important that we understand that every time the Bible uses the word baptism, it doesn't mean baptism in a tank somewhere with water. Now, that being said, our identification with Christ through baptism is very important, and we talked about that last week. But I didn't want to confuse anybody to say that, oh, this is talking about water baptism here. No, this is talking about spiritual baptism. And that's why when Jesus says things like, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. All right, That's to the extent that you're going. In other words, you're forsaking everything that's back here and you're following Christ now. There's no turning back. 
And it's the same way in our practical living. And in Romans 6, 3-4, what it means is that a true follower of Christ has died to the past life like a man on his way to execution. And yet, in Romans, it brings up another interesting little caveat here. Only in Romans 6, it says the man has already died and been buried. It's already done. And that's what baptism is. It's a picture of that. And a lot of times we hear the illustration of people saying, oh yeah, baptism, you know, you're dying in Christ, and then you're being raised in newness in life. And that's true. And that's what the Bible says here. But what is the idea here that we are joined with Christ? Before, in our old life, we were in Adam. Now we are in Christ. We're a new creature in Christ. And so Paul, this question that he asked, shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? And he says, it's impossible. That's his, that's, his, that's his answer. That's impossible. We died to sin. How can we continue to live in it? Our union with Christ and the death to sin. And that's what our baptism pictures. We have had an experience similar, you might say, to that of the Jews after they had been brought through the Red Sea. They were joined to Moses. Well, we are joined to Christ. Or to put it in the words of Galatians 3.27, we have been clothed with Christ. We are now in Christ's uniform. We're not in Adam's uniform. And what that means, if, if we look backward, is that we have died to whatever has gone before us as Christians. We died to the old life when Christ transferred us into the new life. And so he asked the question, how can we live in sin any longer? It's also interesting here that Paul focuses on this, this baptism, this identification with Christ, and how it's, we're united with Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit through this. And we're identified with him in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We've been identified with Christ as we have been. We are identified with him in a lot of different respects here, but particularly his death and his resurrection. But one thing I don't hear a lot of people say or point out is that Paul does not talk about being baptized into his resurrection. (laughs) He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that we've been baptized into Christ's resurrection. He does go on in verse 4 and he says that just as Christ has been raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too will have new life. Or in verse 5, he says, united with him like this in his resurrection. But in verse 3... He speaks of our baptism into Christ in only one respect, into his death. And it's interesting that he says that you were baptized into his death. And then in verse 4, he says, we were buried, therefore with him, what? By baptism into death. One theologian says, according to these words, it is not to death, It is to the internment of the dead that Paul compares baptism. A lot of times we hear about the resurrection. We hear about the death of Christ. A lot of times we don't hear much about the burial of Christ. How can we have been said to be buried with Christ? It doesn't make sense. And what does this mean 
And yet Paul is emphasizing that. He's not emphasizing that we're baptized into his resurrection. He says, no, we're baptized into his burial. When you stop and think about it, it suggests that it's, it's the reason burial is important. It's an important step. Is that burial puts the deceased person where? In the ground. Out of this world forever. I mean, a corpse is dead to life, right? They're dead. But they're still around life. And what Paul is saying is you've been so transferred from your life in Adam, this life of sin and death, into this new life in Christ, that you've actually, this old, old self has been buried. It has no effect. It's buried because it's dead. There's a sense that a corpse could still be said to be in life, it's around life, but when it's buried, it's placed in the ground, it's covered with earth, it's removed from the the sphere of the living, gone forever. That's why Paul here says he wants to emphasize the finality of our being removed from the rule of sin and death to the rule of Christ. He says, you've not only died to sin, but you know what? You've been buried You've been buried. To go back and sin once you've been joined to Christ is like digging up a dead body. That's what it's like. And I think we need to stop and we need to ask ourselves the practical question, well, do we still sin? Sure we do. We all sin in different ways. But we're talking here about a life of sin. A life that has been transformed. A life... That has changed. Even the Apostle Paul, after his transformation, he continues on in Romans and he says, You know what? The things I want to do for the glory of God, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, that's what I do. Why? Because he's a sinful human being. And as long as we're in this flesh, as long as we're in this world, we're going to have to deal with sin. But what Paul is trying to tell us is we don't have to deal with it the way we dealt with it before Christ. Because it doesn't have a hold on us anymore. We can actually say no to sin now. We can ask God for the power of the Spirit to give us that desire against sin. To hate sin. Rather than just kind of say, oh, well, I'll just sin anyway because God's grace will cover it. That's that's the improper thinking. But let me close with this practical question. Well, what if you do sin? (laughs) What if I go back? What if I do sin? How does that affect me as a Christian? Well, first of all, it won't work. (laughs) It won't work. I mean, think about it. Think of the illustration I used of an adult trying to return to childhood. They may try to return to childhood. They may act childish, but anybody that looks at them goes, that's an adult acting like a child. They didn't really go back and become a child. It would be a dishonor to him and it would be an embarrassment to everyone else for an adult to act childish. It can't be done. In the same way, if you're a true Christian, you cannot return to sin in the same way you were in it previously. You can sin. We do sin. We all sin. But not in the same way. If nothing else, you cannot... Enjoy sin as you did before. 
it won't work. People will look at you and say, like they did Peter, when he was trying to swear that he didn't know Jesus. They said, surely you're one of his disciples. There was something there. It was incongruous with his new life in Christ. A sinful life is always that. Secondly, not only will it not work, but God will stop you. And this is a scary thought. God will stop you. God will not stop you from sinning, but he will stop you from continuing in it. And he'll do it in one of two ways. Either he'll make your life so miserable that you will curse the day that you got into sin and you'll beg God to get you out of it. Or simply God will put an end to your life physically. Paul told the Corinthians that because they had dishonored the Lord's Supper, that God actually took some of them home to heaven. If God did that to them for that offense, He will do it to you for persistence in sinful behavior. See, we, we, we deceive ourselves into thinking that, well, you know, it is, we're, we're under God's grace, and if I just continue doing this, it's okay. It's not okay. And God will correct it. And some people, I've talked to some Christians, that say, well, I've been doing this for years and nothing's happened. My question is, you're probably not a Christian. <laughs> if you're doing it with that kind of just lack of conscience... You're probably not a believer. You better go back to the basics and figure out whether you're in Christ or not, whether your sins are truly forgiven, whether you're walking in the newness of life. So it won't work. God will stop it. And then thirdly, if you do return to the life you lived before becoming a Christian or coming to Christ, and if you're able to continue in it, I'd basically just have four words for you. You're not saved. You're not saved. It's even worse than that. If you're able to go back once you have come to Christ, it means not only that you were not saved, but you you have really almost grown a uh, resistance against Christ's work in your life. That's why in Hebrews chapter 6, the writer says, writes this, it is possible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted of the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance. They probably were never there. There's no such thing as, as there's no other sacrifice to be had other than Christ. So I want to ask you this, this question in closing today. As you think about your own Christian life, are you more on fire for Christ today than you were yesterday or the day before or last year or 10 years ago? Or are you feeling a little cold? you feeling a little clammy? You're seeing sin creep its way back in. Don't allow that to happen. You know, if it causes you to fall on your knees and you repent and you turn to Christ, that's what's needed. That's what God wants. God wants us on fire for Him. And so many times we're 
fooling around with sin, the sin of this world, thinking that somehow we're covered by the grace of God that saved us, and it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. The holiness of your life is at stake. The holiness of this church is at stake. The reputation of Christ is at stake. We need to make sure that we're living lives that are growing in righteousness. That we're becoming more like Christ each and every day. Maybe you're here today and this is all new to you and you're just going, man, I don't even know what the heck you're talking about. But you know what? I have one thing to say to you. That we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. The Bible says that. And what he wants you to do is he wants you to turn to him and say, God, once for all, I, I, I want to put myself in your hands. I, I want to trust you for salvation. I'm tired of trying to work this out on my own. Trying to be more religious, trying to do this, trying to do that. The Bible says that we're saved by faith, grace. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. We can't earn it. God is here. He has his arms open wide. He's saying, hey, if you're tired of living, you come unto me. I have a burden that's easier than the one you're carrying. Trust me. If you're thirsty, you come unto me. You'll never thirst again. That's the gospel message. I pray that it will affect change in all of our hearts. Father, we thank you for this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would... Allow us to see the importance of understanding who we are in Christ, our position in Christ, that we've been baptized into Christ as believers, and that we don't have to focus on this old sinful self, that it's literally been buried. And Lord, I pray that we would understand that going into the battle that we face each and every day. I don't know about anybody else, but that that gives me a kind of a spring in my step, realizing that that sin is defeated, that death is defeated, that Christ has victory over that, and in Christ I have victory over that. Practically, that makes me desire to live up to my calling, to live up to that position, to try every day to to live a life that's honoring to, to Christ. And when I do sin, I know that you're there, the Bible says if we confess our sins, if we come to you and say we're sorry, we repent of our sin, we know this was wrong, that you cleanse us, you forgive us from all unrighteousness. We have that open door to go to you. We don't have to go to a church or a priest or a little room and confess our sins. We go directly to the Father through Christ. What a glorious thing. I pray for anyone here today who might not have put their faith or trust in Christ. I pray that you would do that work through the power of your Holy Spirit. That you would draw them onto yourself. And only you can. As believers, we would walk out of here understanding who we are in Christ. And being willing to share a message that changes, has the power to change and transform lives. Just like it did our very own. Thank you and we praise you, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. 
and we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.